Oh, you know, the big headphones kind of hurt my, kind of hurt my jaw. Why are you using big headphones? I, because I was playing around with my earbuds, but I don't know. I this just is went, the look. This, so basically. This felt more producery. It's fashion over function right now. That's what we're looking at here. I also like how these sound better. Okay, sure. Okay, good. <laughs> hey, Sylvie. <laughs> Hey, Savage. Welcome to Talking Too Loud. It's a different kind of show today. It is. It is. Look at us. We are visible. <laughs> we are no longer anonymous voices. Welcome to my office. Beautiful office. Fantastic office. You've got plants. I sleep in here. You've yeah. got, yeah, it's a multi-purpose room. That's great. Yep. Yep. Some yeah. books. So you I got can books. read. They're sorted by color. That's always good. Which apparently it says a lot about you. Like to some people organize to sort by color versus by theme versus alphabetical. Yes. Versus no sorting. Versus, are you a no sorter? A sortless. <laughs> uh, no, I do sort a little. I, you know, back here, I, you can't see, these are books that my friends have written. And that's what oh. I keep behind me. Yeah. Nice. And then I have my, like my little section of business books. And I, okay. you know, most of them I hate. And I don't usually have physical ones anymore. Obviously, that would be insane. Um, Crazy. So I, I look at them and I read them and then I recycle them or give them away. So mostly it's my house is full of children's books, actually. It's the truth. Those are the best books. Yeah. Let's be honest. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What's the best children's book that you've read in a while? Hmm. I think it really depends on the age. You know, what, what age bracket are we looking for? Um Oh, yes. The best book is called... Google it. It's I'm, coming. I want to get... The, right, yeah. Uh, there's this book about the sun that's called One in a Billion. Okay. And it explains what the sun is and stars and all this stuff in this way that like little kids can actually kind of understand. My six-year-old enjoys it. My four-year-old enjoys it. I enjoy it. And according to Amazon, the reading age for it is apparently four to eight years old. So I'm right in the, right in the bracket. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, I think we got distracted because we're on video. But today we, we have did. a special guest, Taylor Roa, who is the director of talent at Wistia. And Amazing. As you know, last episode we had Brendan on and we've been getting, you know, good feedback that people want to hear a little bit more about Wistia. And we're going to have some more Wistians on on the show in general, which is exciting. And so super fun to have Taylor on. Um, and he's been with us pre-COVID and then through like a huge amount of people growth and change and evolution. So I think it's going to be a fun conversation to have with him. A lot of hot takes. Yeah. A lot of hot takes. Oh, hottest takes. Hot as the sun. <laughs> um, hot as the sun. You know, apparently the core of the sun is much hotter than the surface. That's one of the things you learn in the book. <laughs> 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 but Sylvie, how are you? What's going on over there? Um, I'm good. I'm trying to think of what's got me talking too loud this week. There are a few things. So Adam had uh, actually recommended Cheer, second season of Cheer on Netflix. Mm. So I've been uh, I've been diving into Cheer. It's really compelling stuff. I don't know if you've watched it yet. But I have not. I have not watched it. So when you're watching this, are you watching like a whole season? Of, are you binging this? Or are you, oh, I'm are, binging. Are you a saver? No. I'm a binger. Okay. I'm like a, or like a, a medium binger. So what does like, that mean? Like is, three in a row? What is that? Yeah, Five three in a row. row. Three, in, three a row. in a row. That's pretty good. It's pretty good. What does that feel like? Does that feel medium binge? That means medium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That seems medium to me. That seems, that seems good. medium binge. Yeah. What's the show that you've like mega binged? Um, 
My wife and I just watched Never Have I Ever. Have you seen that? Oh, it's so good. Very good. And we just like, she was watching the first episode. I was like, what's this stupid thing? And she's like, I'm telling you, you're going to love it. And then I watched the second episode. I was like, all right, this show is like candy. This is just like candy, candy, candy. So we just like flew through that. Um, yeah. And I'm back on Ozark because Ozark is back. And you got to get your really- Haven't done Ozark, but- Sometimes when you want like the very, very dark show- Yep. Um, with Jason Bateman and a bunch of other people who normally are mostly comedians doing like very dark, serious stuff. It's a, it's a great, yeah. it's a great one. Those are harder to mega binge. Yes, it is. It, it takes much more emotional energy. So you like watching two of those feels like I'm like, I'm good. I'm going to watch two, <laughs> take a break. And you're done. Yeah. Well, you know what? I, you know, you know what else takes emotional energy? What's that now, Sylvia? Hiring people during a pandemic. It sure does. It takes a lot of emotional energy and careful thought and planning and uh, processes compassion. and compassion. It's uh, it's like sitting down to watch uh, Ozark. Okay. That didn't really work, but I think I get the drift here. I think it's time for us to jump into this interview with Taylor. Let's do it. <laughs> Well, Taylor. Hello, hello. Look at you. Here you are on Talking Too Loud. I'm here. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. I mean, I don't usually see you on the podcast. I see you in meetings. I see you on Zoom. I see you in the office, like in other places. Yep. But it's it's fun to have you here today. Yeah, it's good. This is actually my first ever podcast. So come on. Yeah. Whoa. Believe it or not. Whoa. The Taylor Roa, this is your first podcast. I mean, Yep. You're like posting things to LinkedIn that are taking off like left and right. I'm just shocked that we're your first. I'm just normally in my like stained sweats, eating ice cream, just hacking away at my keyboard. <laughs> That's how I get my ideas out. <laughs> well, we're very honored that you're here today uh, with us and excited to do a special episode with someone from Wistia, Taylor, who is our head of talent acquisition. So is a key pillar of the, the people team at Wistia. Um, a key player in terms of like how we build the culture, how we scale, how we hire, and just a thoughtful, great, great guy all around. So it's fun to have you here today, Taylor. Thank you. Yeah, you know, I can talk about this stuff for hours. That's what we're hoping. That's what we're going to do. This is going to be a five-hour episode. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, the extended version. This is your first podcast. <laughs> yeah. Did you know they're always five hours? <laughs> so we have to start the show. We ask everyone the same question. Yeah. What has you talking too loud right now? What's got you like super amped up or excited, you know, can't shut up about? Yeah. You know, I've, I've heard of this show before, so I kind of saw this question coming, but... <laughs> Uh, you did your research. Very yeah. serious. <laughs> but you know, this week of all weeks, my answer is, is actually pretty atypical for me because I'd say actually football has me talking too loud. Really? Yeah. It was a crazy week of playoffs, but I watched just one of them. Uh, I grew up in Western New York. So, you know, if you grew up there, you're a Bills fan. And it's really rare to watch the Bills playing this well but uh, not so rare to watch them come very close to doing something cool <laughs> and then losing. So, it, I mean, it was cool. It was exciting to see, like, maybe the best game ever played, even though they lost. But, you know, that is what it is. Have you always been a, a big football fan or like, or is it the playoffs or? Yeah. You know, what stood out to you about this weekend? Well, OK, so my family moved to Western New York in 95. And that was like a year after the Bills' four consecutive Super Bowl appearances when they lost all four of them. And mm. 
since then the bills have been awful but you know there's something endearing about the home team and like everyone around you is rooting for them and also there's not much to do in rochester new york so growing (laughs) up i was a big bills fan like my cousins my brother were watching the bills games I think it was like right around moving to Hawaii when I kind of lost interest in football. There was cooler things to do out there. And more recently, the past three years, I haven't like watched a single game, actually. And this is when they've started to do well. So I don't know if maybe like something about me observing them play is. Uh, <laughs> I think you're that's, their good luck. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's, that's the, if you stay away from them, it's good luck. Yeah. So I, I'm, I don't know. I think I owe it to my people to never watch again or something. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, Taylor, you're the, you're the director of talent here at Wistia for people who don't know what that role is. Can you break down what you do and tell us about like how you got into this, this line of work? Yeah, absolutely. So I am thinking about all things hiring. You know, I think a lot of companies think about talent acquisition purely as a recruiting function, meaning like go out and find candidates. But I think there's actually so much value that companies lose by seeing TA that way. And actually, the the question I'll usually ask to outline the difference as I see it is, you know, if you ask a leader how good their teams are at finding candidates, they usually have an answer for you. You know, you can just look at data and pipelines, whatever. But if you ask somebody how good their teams are at making hiring decisions, they often have no idea. And it's usually the answer is much worse than they'd like it to be. And so when I say like we think about all things hiring, it's not just finding candidates, but it's also thinking about those candidates experience interviewing with us, our hiring managers skill level in defining an interview plan and making an informed decision. And also even how our leaders and our VPs are thinking about building their teams and putting together a hiring plan. So that's sort of how I see it and and how I think maybe it differs from other teams. But yeah. And can you go a little bit into just like, how do you know if you're making great decisions when it comes to hiring? How do you know? Yeah, I think the the easiest answer is you don't. <laughs> you know, there's so much room for error when humans are making decisions regarding other humans. And I think a lot of people have this kind of uh, false perception that you can make like the right decision or a perfect decision when hiring. And so I think our goal is always to understand as much as we can about a candidate, understand that no matter who we hire, they're a person. So they're going to have strengths and weaknesses. Our job in the interview process is to learn like which weaknesses we're prepared to support someone on and which strengths are the ones that are most important to the work that we need to get done. Right. So I think really, you know, there's always going to be risk in hiring. There's always room to get it wrong. I think, you know, you did it well, though, when you have a team, not just an individual, but a team of people working together and doing like great work, but also like having fun doing it. You know, I think that's really the ultimate measure. It's kind of like an ambiguous answer, but I think, you know, when you were talking about hiring, right, that's how it is. The truth. We're dealing with people. And so it's not like, I think it's like the, the, the quote, like rational economist approach of like how this works is like you hire cog, cog, go here, cog spin, you know, and then other cog spin. (laughs) And we all know that that's like nothing close to the reality is your point. And yeah. that like people do come in with strengths and weaknesses. And if, if you're growing at all, I feel like that's like, we should say that out loud. Like everyone has weaknesses. That's normal. You should have weaknesses because hopefully you're stretching and trying things and you're not going to get it all right the first time. Right. Yeah. So that's normal. And if you don't have weaknesses, it's because you're lying to yourself. Really? Yeah. 
Yeah. And yeah, and I think it's also like obviously looking for people who want to grow and have like enough self-awareness is like an important thing for us too, right? Like if someone comes in and can't, not that we're not even asking that question usually, right? We're not like, what are your weaknesses? Yeah. Um, but we're trying to tease out which are the people's strengths and where are the areas they would need more support? And then does that, how does that fit into building like a holistic team? Yep, exactly. We're always going to be learning. It's always going to be evolving. I think that's something I like the most about smaller teams. You know, it's a lot of my ideals are, you know, because I, I tend to work in smaller growing teams and it's hard when you're at a company like Oracle to talk about hiring in human terms, you know, when you're talking about like 2000 roles versus 20. But, you know, it's also in tech, especially, I think I find it really interesting because, you know, when I think about a company growing, I see it really in terms of like a group of people growing. And so for me, you know, hiring is one of the most important things to get right as you're scaling a business. And it's also the most ambiguous human challenge that you'll face. So all the ways we like to lean on data and like be 100% certain about certain things and, you know, measure things. This is one thing that's like really hard to, to do that with, but it's so critical to the growth of a company. And I think I'm also kind of attracted to that challenge. Yeah. And it is a challenge. We're facing some significant, exciting challenges. Can, can you give yeah. folks some perspective on how many people Wistia hired last year and how many people were looking to hire this coming year? Or 2022, yeah. I should say. So let's see. In, in 2020, we made about 40-ish hires. Uh, last year, we made 66. So that was more than 50% year over year. This year, we're aiming to be at 75 net new hires. So usually that means that my team is going to make closer to like 100 hires this year or more. Um, and so that's really exciting. You know, we may be closer to like 100% hires year over year than last year. And, you know, I think people on the team are super energized and I'm, I'm, I love to see like how people are diving into this and taking it really seriously. So yeah. it's, it's an exciting time. Yeah. I, I mean, years off to a, like a racing start. It is. And also like if we're hiring a hundred people, how many candidates will we end up talking to? Oh man. So we, uh, I made a projection for half one and I think we're looking at probably 1500 candidates that will come into our interview process for the first half of the year. And we're not a huge team like that actually, you yeah. know, that should sound like a huge number. It, it um, is an, it is a, it size, is a size, huge yeah. <laughs> yeah, size number. Yeah. It's trying to control <laughs> yeah, my face. Yeah. So he's like, I'm on video. Should I be Hi. voting or <laughs> <laughs> just let it loose? Sylvie, just get, re get relaxed. All... It's fine. I'm trying. I keep fidgeting, <laughs> fidgeting with my hands. That's something actually that occurred to me because a lot of a lot of interviews are now Zoom based, right? Like, what's that process? Yeah, I feel like my nerves would be higher, I think, than in person. Yeah, there's I mean, there's we could do a whole episode just about this, you know, of all the things that have changed from the start of the pandemic. I don't know a single team that was planning on doing 100% remote interviewing before the pandemic because you know people are afraid of losing the connection they're afraid of not being as good at assessing for some reason but there's actually been so many benefits that came from moving to zoom you know like if you think about it we used to have to ask candidates to basically take a day off of work drive into mm -hmm. cambridge and deal with parking which is not great in cambridge in general uh and then walk into the office sometimes in February when it's cold and crappy outside. And then 
internally, we were battling for conference rooms and trying to line up time with when this person was going to be in office versus working. So it was kind of actually a nightmare that we didn't even know we were working through. And going remote opened up so many doors for us to make the experience so much more comfortable and easy for candidates, but also to be more efficient, like 1500 candidates in person would be so much harder to execute than uh, Zoom calls, right? But it's true. You can really pump up the volume. Yeah. There's also been like- Raise the roof for you, Savage. (laughs) (laughs) My God. But no, there's, there's, sorry, I just, I'm just laughing because Sylvie's like literally like raised the roof. Like she's like almost yeah. like, and we were trying recording. to pretend the video isn't there, but like clearly muting herself, yeah. which is hilarious. Cause I would just, just so you know, to when we're normally recording episodes, Sylvie's out of control. She's like yeah. moving all over control. the place and she's like, whatever, super animated. And she's like, she's, you're just, just get I'm reserved. You're too reserved. I'm reserved. Down. Let it go, Sylvie. All right. Taylor seems pretty relaxed. Yeah. You I'm, are. You're very relaxed. This is out of control for me. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> there it is. See, that's that's what we're here to see. Okay, <laughs> but, the, but the other thing I was going to say, it, it, it's also changed how we uh, think about assessing candidates and and some of the ways that we think about bias too. Because ironically, in a lot of ways, you might have been concerned about losing the human element to interviewing when we're doing it over Zoom, but we've leaned into tools that help us record interviews and. They give us tons of tools and ability to check ourselves for bias, um, to train and support our interviewers and hiring managers, because that's a skill that everyone needs to build. So we've really, we've actually gotten so much value out of doing things the way we've been doing. And I couldn't see us doing it differently, you know, in a post-pandemic world. Can you talk a little bit of, I, I think like, I mean, I didn't plan for us to get into this, but I think talk about the tool that we do use, the main one that's like recording interviews and what that process is, because like, yeah. It would have sounded crazy in person. Yeah. But instead, it's like you've created the system that is like, you know, more inclusive and provides more ability to like help people get better hiring and all this stuff. But it doesn't seem like it would at first blush. Can you like kind of walk us through that? Yeah, totally. So the the company that approached us like really months into the pandemic, it's pretty crazy how fast they turned a problem into a solution. But uh it was called Luma at the time, and they were proposing that we record our interviews to help us better assess candidates. And our first reaction was like, no, like we wouldn't do that. We don't want our interviewers and hiring managers to feel micromanaged. And that feels kind of like big brothery. But our sales team had used Gong for quite some time at that point. And so I had a conversation with one of our sales managers who told me about all the value they get out of recording sales calls. So I thought, why not experiment with the sales team? They're used to conversations being recorded. What happened was on every interview process we do, we have a cross-functional team interviewing. And we started to have people from like marketing or operations in a sales interview process. And then when they would go into like an operations interview or a marketing interview, they'd ask why we weren't recording it because the tool was so useful. So it kind of, it was super, it was really sticky and it ended up being like a really natural demand on the team for us to, to use the tools. But yeah, they're called Pillar now. They rebranded now that they're a little bit more mature two years in. And I definitely recommend for folks listening that you look into it. I think it's a really exciting new niche in, in hiring tech. And it's helping us see like basically our interviewers, you know, you, you write up an interview, like the results, how it went. You went in with the right, hopefully you go in with prepared questions. And hopefully all the interviewers have different questions and they're not asking the interviewee the same thing, right? So that's one of the things that we've done the last few years is like build that out. 
And then you're trying to assess, are they answering the questions the way we want someone to be answering this particular type of question? But in the moment, it can be actually hard to know sometimes. Yeah. Um, it could be easy to miss things. And so one of the things that's so valuable about going back and looking is you're like, hey, did they answer this question or not? Like, do they solve like when there's a really complicated problem that involves like cross-functional stuff and they, they don't know what the org is like, do they figure out how to solve it or not? And like, sometimes they allude to things or imply things or whatever that actually allow you to understand that they do know how to solve that problem or they don't. And yeah. without the recording, you'd be guessing. And so totally. there's been a bunch of times we've been debating a candidate and then it's like, well, let's go back to the game footage. Mm -hmm. uh, like Saturday's I was just going to say. Yeah. And, yeah. and then it's like rework the plays and figure out like, you know, did that work? We Do we know why that didn't work or did did it work the way we expected it to? And it's, it's just been cool because I wouldn't have expected us to do this. We definitely wouldn't have done this in person. Yeah. No. We wouldn't have just set up a camera in the room and said, we're going to record this conversation. Everyone would have thought we were crazy. how weird that would have been? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, but there's also so much opportunity for bias that you wouldn't even normally think about. You know, like most of the time people are filling scorecards out a day or even two days after the interview happened. And by then they may have already talked to other candidates. And so they're filling out an interview that happened two days ago mm. with new comparison bias. Um, there's also, you know, when you're rating a person in real time in the Zoom app, which you can do with Pillar, uh, you're giving your authentic, like in the moment response to what they said. But yeah. sometimes an interview might end and the tone didn't end well, and that might color your, your assessment for the entire interview, right? And so there's all kinds of small ways that bias will impact a scorecard in hindsight that Pillar helps us mitigate. Has it also changed... I think you mentioned this, Savage, like the way that you ask certain questions, like you might sort of watch the game footage and be like, that's not exactly what I was trying to get at. Let me think through a better way to ask. I think the most prominent area we see that in is when people watch each other's interviews. You know, I've heard comments mm -hmm. from folks like, wow, this person is really good at interviewing. I learned a lot just from watching how they conduct an interview. And that's really good for the team, you know? Totally. Um, staying on hiring for a second. Yeah. So we've seen a lot of candidates come through at Wistia and have hired a fair amount of people and we're continuing to hire more people this year and more candidates for someone who's listening and maybe they haven't applied to that many jobs. Um, and they're trying to figure out their way through what advice would you have for the candidates? What advice would you have for the job seeker? You know, you've seen so much at this point, what helps people be more successful when looking for jobs? Yeah, that, that's a really great question. I actually, you know, you might imagine I give a lot of people advice on questions like this. And I think first and foremost, it, it depends on where you are in your career. You know, somebody just starting is indexing towards like learning. But for the most part, I tell folks it starts with your search. Like if you are looking for a job in a field that genuinely interests you, you're more likely to succeed because you like to talk about the subject people are going to pull you in because they can see, you know, your interest and your intrinsic drive to do work on that subject. But uh, so it starts with like what you're looking for. And I think people need to, especially now where there's so much opportunity, people need to talk to mentors, find folks in a field that maybe they haven't worked in before and just ask questions to learn about what you might be interested in. Beyond that, actually looking for a job, I always tell folks to be your own recruiter. Because especially now, there's so many ATSs and platforms companies use that filter applications with algorithms. 
And you might not have a typical background that the algorithm would deem like a good match for a role. But even like algorithm or not, you always have a better chance if you talk to a person on the team, whether or not they're hiring or whether or not they're the hiring manager. Uh, and LinkedIn is the best place to do that sort of thing. So I always tell folks like, if you're actually interested in a job, find at least three people at that company and message them. Because on the other hand, that company probably has a referral bonus program and they might have an incentive to get you an interview, right? So it's Ooh. harder for introverts, I think, <laughs> that can give people anxiety, but do it, you know, put yourself out there and, and be your own recruiter. Very, very hot that. tip there. Very hot tip. I love that. Yes. Especially because that referral bonus, like people forget that that it is such a, I'll use the word war for talent. It is. Um, that like companies are doing, we do this, the companies are giving out referral bonuses to their team because it makes such a difference if you get the right person in there faster or what have you. And so like, I do think that's, that's a really good tip. Do you think they should say that in the message? Like, hey, I think I might be getting this job anyway, but if you want a referral bonus, like you might as well like <laughs> yeah. pass me in to the right folks. I, honestly, I mean, you, it's worth experimenting with your messaging because <laughs> you also, you shouldn't <laughs> feel bad not hearing back from people, you know, like send a hundred messages, you might get 10 back, but like those 10 messages increase your probability of getting a job by so much. So it's a numbers game. Yeah. Yeah. Let's switch a little bit here and let's talk about like culture during the pandemic and the great resignation and uh, you know, the great the, resignation, the great resignation, <laughs> or is it the great renegotiation or think, what is it? I don't know. Um, I didn't read what we're people calling are it saying this week. both. Yeah. This week we're calling it the great renegotiation until yeah. people ignore the NPR article that came out and go back to the great resignation. <laughs> I know you have like some pretty strong thoughts around this. Like let them, let them rip. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I mean, where should I start? Like, uh, <laughs> well, for people who don't know, I'm sure everybody knows, but maybe some but people what, don't. Yeah. Why don't you tell us what, what is, is the great resignation? Yeah. And yeah. yeah. So I, it's, it's pretty insane how much has changed in the past two years. Uh, and more than once, you know, I'm, I'm starting to kind of see it in phases of the pandemic talent market. Um, Obviously, at first, it was really bad and scary for a lot of people. There were layoffs and people didn't know like what was going to happen next to them. Uh, and I think that some really important things came out of that forced time away. But we started to see when hiring picked back up, uh, employees that weren't laid off were starting to say like, hey, like my friend who got laid off now has this amazing job that he loves because there's all this opportunity out there. and I actually think maybe I should make a change, you know, but what we started to see was this like huge rehiring that became so competitive. But I think because so many people had this moment to reflect on what's important to them, people were prioritizing things like culture and work-life balance more than ever before. And that the presence of that competition forced companies to listen. And I think that like, you know, in American work culture, it's been changing over the past few decades. I actually think millennials don't get enough credit for how they impacted the workforce. Like 10, 15 years ago, we were talking about how spoiled millennials are, like with their demands of like flexibility and remote work. And they never got credit for the impact they made because <laughs> they need That's credit. So true. Millennials That's right? so true. credit. Yes. People love to shit on. Oh, I, <laughs> Give us credit. <laughs> People love to harp on millennials, but. So, I mean, a lot of these changes were happening slowly over time, but it kind of was a pivotal moment. And I think 
in in that second phase of the pandemic, like that first phase was like time away. It was a little scary. It was, you know, unknown. The second phase was all about culture and meaning and work. And I think the companies that already had that down really did really well. I think we are one of them, you know, like as, as competitive as it's been, we've done really well because people are looking for what we have at Wistia. And that's amazing. I think now we're in this third phase where a lot of those environments that aren't necessarily peachy, they still have to hire. And there's this sort of shift where these not great companies are just throwing money at people to get them to land the job. We've also seen a lot of companies hacking down their interview process to like one or two interviews before extending an offer. And so it's pretty wild. I've also started to see more people than ever open to a change after three months in a new role because I think people are just getting it wrong, you know, and at the end of the day, like the fit is still what's important, even if you're making all this money in a role that you're not going to really be a fit in. Right. I haven't actually heard it described in those phases before. Um, but I think that third phase is, is interesting because like, we've definitely seen that, right. That like the competition for people joining Wistia is different than it was six months ago. And you know, like the, the, like pain of the decision people are making is so palpable. Like we've had candidates turn us down for like an insane cash offer, which is exciting, you know, great for them. But I'm always like, so interested in, in like how painful that decision is for them, you know, because they feel like they're compromising Mm. between the values that they want in a workplace and like cash, which, you know, Mm. they'll have room to change their mind in the future. And it's worth, you know, sometimes taking a chance, but that's, what's really interesting to me. I feel like this current phase is cash and compromise is how I would categorize it. Yeah. It also just, it's interesting too, because like, you know, one of the questions I've gotten a lot and it's only, it's usually from people I know well that have known Wistia for a while and I have not talked too much during the pandemic, they'll say like, how are you guys? Like, are you okay? Like, is the culture okay? Because our culture is so on display and it was so wild in the sense of just like crazy things happening all the time. (laughs) And it's obviously caused us to really evolve what our culture is Mm -hmm. and we're still evolving it. And it's like, you know, we're 90% in person now or 90% Boston area, 10% remote. I think we're now 60% Boston area, 40% non-Boston area. And that's obviously shifting more that's as we- That's huge. Yeah. yeah. That shift is huge, yeah. I mean, more than 50% of the people who work at Wistia joined since COVID began. Yeah, more than half the company. That's crazy. I remember before the yeah. pandemic, we were like intentionally working to become more remote friendly. We were like, we yes. think this will serve us. Like we need to really put some intention behind being more remote friendly. And then- yeah. You made you a good know what bet. Happened after that. <laughs> you made a good sad bet. Yeah, but it's also like I guess the the thing I'm getting at is like it's been interesting to see that like things that were in our culture that we didn't always like write down like around like flexibility. Like we've always had a flexible workplace, right? Like you could come in, you don't have to ask permission to like go to the doctor or something. Yep. Like or, you know, the untracked vacation policy is like the same idea. Um but that then was even so important in this world. And I think is like one of the things that people can see as like being pretty different is like, we just trust you because we have to, yeah. and we want to, and that like, we think flexible working matters and that you'll ha- be able to have more longevity with flexible working. But like, that wasn't a value. That wasn't a thing that we talked about in terms of like how we make decisions. Yeah. It was in there, but it's like the prioritization of it shifted in this world. Yeah, totally. I think for, for us, and I actually talked to candidates about this a lot because 
you know, obviously March 2020 was a really uncertain time. And we were a little nervous about how our culture would sustain in like a fully remote world, right? But I think when I look back on it, I think it was partly easy for us because one, we were really flexible and outcome oriented at first. Almost everybody on the team worked at least a day or two from home. And so everyone had this like remote work infrastructure that was very comfortable and familiar, right? But also our team was so close and had these relationships that carried over seamlessly into a virtual world, right? And I think the the primary thing that's changed and the thing that I think a lot about is the difference in experience remotely for somebody who was part of the team before the pandemic versus somebody starting today who see like all these people having a great time and they understand that this is a great culture. And they may say like, this is the best onboarding I've ever had, even though it's remote. But the reality is that like the sphere of relationships you're thrown into at the start is so much smaller because it's just your immediate team and whoever you might meet in a donut conversation. And the only way to like get to know folks across the company is really to put yourself out there and initiate a conversation on Slack or over Zoom. So I think a lot about like the difference in psychological safety. You know, we have this flexible uh, understanding human environment, but for somebody just starting, like it might be hard for them to believe that and they might feel nervous about speaking out. And so I think that's the challenge of today is how do we, you know, as we continue in a hybrid world, how do we really drive that home for somebody brand new? Yeah, I've been thinking about it in a similar way in terms of like, what are the things that just happened because we had so much of the company in person? They happened organically that have to be made intentional to have them work well remotely. Yep. And a lot of it's just time, right? Like it's like time with people that's unstructured. You know, it's like the, I know it can be terrifying for folks if I just like randomly like roll up to their desk and be like, what are we working on? But that used to happen a lot mm-hmm. out of genuine curiosity. And I've tried to do it more remotely. And as I've done it, of course, I see a positive impact of like, well, then those people are more willing to bring things up and ask questions and like, um, it's a simple thing. It's so simple. Yeah. But when you start to look at stuff through that lens of like, what would be easy in person that would happen organically, but what do you have to make it intentional when you're fully remote? You start to see a big list of stuff. And I mean, we've tackled a lot of it, but I'm excited for us to continue to, uh, to tackle it and evolve it as, as we keep growing. Yeah, definitely. You know, I do that a lot too, naturally. I, like I see people starting and I'm just genuinely curious how things are going like three months in or so. So I'll reach out to somebody. But I also think like, we have a team that tends to be very helpful. And I think you'll see more of that, like on our team in general than other environments. But in a remote world, like we're on Zoom usually for a reason, you know, there's an agenda for the meeting uh, and then we're off Zoom, you know, so there's a lot less like skateboarding through the office, actually. (laughs) And like, uh, you know, random conversations in line for lunch on Tuesday. Yeah. You know, it's been cool to see, though, that like we've had a couple hackathons remotely. Yeah. And there's been some projects that came directly out of the hackathons that were all around like getting people together and hanging out and stuff. And like, it's been fun to see like WIST start to take off. Yeah, that's, I think that's my favorite of all of them. You know, like we have so many like hidden talents at Wistia and just like, this is the most thoughtful and creative team I've ever been on. And the fact that like the sheer number of people willing to host an hour of radio time and like make yeah. it interesting. And we're all like chatting along in Slack as it, as it happens. It's, it's really cool. Yeah. I'm not even sure if we've said what this is in the podcast before, but we ha- there was a team that made an internal radio show 
that anyone can get in broadcast, broadcast music, and they can DJ, like, you know, talk in between songs, what have yep. you. And then there's like a <laughs> bunch of stingers of different <laughs> Wistians have recorded, like, welcome to WISTFM. Like, all you this, have like, like the soundboard with like the obnoxious yeah. noises. Yeah. It's pretty silly, but it's, it's, it's definitely been like picking up steam as a way of like, oh, like someone will put on like, you know, like deep work jams and <laughs> it's always <laughs> Frank, but you're like listening to them and you're working and you know, there's other people listening at the same time to the same thing. And it's like getting that vibe. We need Frank beat. to do a, a DJ set on talking too loud. Yeah, he yeah. should. That would be hilarious. Just an episode of Frank DJing. Yeah. And, and then we just have to pay all these royalties because he's just using yeah. all this music that's like hyper popular. No big yeah. deal. No big deal. <laughs> Our most expensive episode ever. It'll be good. Yeah. It'll be good. Or you could just play all of Dan's music and we'll be safe. Oh, that's true. Yes. Oh, we'll play yeah, Dan's music it. and then we'll get permission like, and we'll, we know the guy. And yep, yeah. Yep. It's a win-win. Yeah. I'll pitch it. I love it. Um, Taylor, what do you think like if you were to give advice to somebody who is going to attempt to go through, you know, let's say they're like a 30 person company and they're trying to really scale up. Like they've, they feel like they have product market fit, they've raised money or the revenue starting to come in and they're fully remote as things are today. And then they know that it's going to be in-person remote, in-person remote. What, what advice would you give to somebody who hasn't done this before? Who hasn't gone hybrid or who hasn't like scaled a team? Who hasn't scaled and recruited and like, you know, is doing it in this new world. Yeah. I, I would say don't wait to hire your first recruiter. I think a lot of companies can make the mistake of seeing a recruiter as a cost, but it's really such a cost-saving hire, especially when you think about like when, you know, things hit the fan. I don't know if I can, I, I won't use. You can say, we bleep. We'll bleep <laughs> it, but it's, it's, it's more engaging for the listener to hear the bleeps. We like the bleep. Got it. Okay, great. Yeah, great. So, but yeah, no, but really when, when it's the fan and your teams need to hire people, sometimes the only option is an agency and that can turn into millions over the span of like, you know, 50 hires even. So a recruiter is really uh, a smart investment earlier on, but also those early hires are some of your most critical hires, you know, like that's when you're at the highest risk of getting things wrong and things not working out. And you're also building like the root and foundation of your culture. And you can't really trust everyone to be at a level on your team to be making like great hiring decisions. And you need somebody to help you think about that as you go. So that would be the first thing, like hire a good recruiter who can be an extension of you. Something I say often is that a founder is the first recruiter. Really, that's the most important job. I don't know, maybe, I don't know if you see it this way, Chris, but your most important job at first was finding the people to help you build the idea, right? Mm -hmm. And that, that mm -hmm. job doesn't get any less important. It just scales. And so you need somebody who can uh, act as an extension of you and your leadership team. So there's that. And I think in, in terms of hybrid, I think it's much different for companies starting now. I think it makes a ton of sense to just start fully remote because there's so much that you'll save in terms of like building out an office management team and, and thinking about all of that at first, like that's a huge cost saver, I think, for a brand new company that's just starting. But I think as you mature, like personally, and, and you see all kinds of polls and uh, opinions on LinkedIn, but people want a hybrid environment ultimately. I think really the benefit of a hybrid world is the element of choice. And people feel so much more engaged and comfortable when they can choose to some extent what their experience will be. So that's what I'd say. Like it's a benefit to start fully remote, but you should plan probably on some kind of 
physical infrastructure for connectedness and having the option on your team. So wise. So, so wise. wise. So wise. And I, yeah, I think that is very good advice. And I think it's funny because like people like to shit on hybrid culture as a thing. Like you have to pick, is it in person or is it only remote? Yeah. And the truth is like the world is complicated. Right. Um, but like the companies that were fully remote before this still got together in person and they called themselves remote, but there was in-person time and there was availability of in-person working often, whatever it was like going to a co-working space and renting out a conference room or yep. having your own dedicated space or what have you. And I, I think it's like, I mean, that's the way we've been thinking about it. And I think it's like, it's, it's cool to look at it and think, all right, we can confidently hire people and do this remote and scale and hire people all across the country and across the world. And yet we also can say, oh, well, we expect like summer probably there's going to be less COVID and there's more immunity in the population. So like we can start to plan more things that will be in person at the same time that people can get together on. And it's like, you can, you can do both. Yep. It just takes being like more responsive. But I also think like just more confidence that you actually can build a culture when you're remote. Yep. And you can evolve a great culture when you're remote. Yeah. And I, I don't think I believed that before this. Well, I mean, lucky for us, video is our superpower. You know, like we have an amazing yes. video team. <laughs> I think for especially early on, that made all the difference from hiring, but also internally, like in some ways, our hilarious, crazy all hands meetings were even more creative because it was a virtual medium, right? But, you know, even companies that don't build video software, I think they need to get good at video if they really want to get serious about that. Great way to get that in there. Here we are <laughs> getting good at video. <laughs> um, Taylor, thank you so much. This is really fun and appreciate you opening up on this stuff and sharing, sharing your learnings and your thinking around how to scale and how to build hybrid culture. And it's fun that uh, after this interview ends, I will continue to see you and hang out. Yeah. So that's great. <laughs> no, this has been a blast. Thanks for inviting me on. Super happy to do it. And I'll be back in the office probably in the next month or so. I'm sure I'll see you soon. All right. I'll see you there. So Taylor, I love Taylor. He's so great. So smart and thoughtful and like actually broke some things down about recruitment and like this particular phase that we're in, in a way that felt new and like very clear. Yeah. And I mean, he talks to a lot of candidates. His team talks to a lot of candidates. I think he has like, one of the best senses of what's really happening in the talent market like day to day. And Absolutely. I mean, it's interesting to think about like our world right now, you know, there's not a lot of unemployment in general, right? It's like mm -hmm. one of the, I think the Fed just said yesterday, we're almost at quote, like maximum employment in terms of like number of people who want to work getting jobs. And what that right. means is it's also maximum competition because for, for companies, because like you can move a role whenever you want. It's, I even think like, you know, he talked about people leaving after three months. It's a very different thing to quit a job if you don't have to walk into the building and mm -hmm. walk past all these people and sit down with somebody and say, I'm not going to do this anymore. Whoa, and then walk past, have, right? First of all, I've been saying, whoa, all day today. And I wish I hadn't been. Second of all, <laughs> I hadn't even thought of that, that that experience of quitting is so different. Yeah, I think it's super different. I mean, the other side of it is like, you know, I can tell you this is a thing I miss and it's a weird thing to miss. But like whenever there was like a really hard thing that happened, um, you know, let's say big customer leaves or, you know, someone quits or anything, just a hard thing that happened. When we were in person, you could just kind of set the tone by example. 
just walk through and chat with people and check in with them. And I think it's like helpful to see someone and be like, oh, we're all good, you know? And yeah. it helps get back to a place of like feeling calm and like confident faster. And that thing is is definitely harder remote. It's like, yeah. how do you do that? Like I can send Slack messages and emails that will do something. I can send a video message. That was helpful. You can do live chats, but like that was a, you could change the feeling. You can move a feeling differently in person. And, and that's one of the only things that I, today I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm still working on how do I do that better? Like, how do I help create the vibe online? Because it's pretty easy to do in person. Yeah. I mean, I never got to experience the in-person, but I could definitely see how, especially if something was difficult, that just having sort of a physical presence um, would be able to kind of mitigate and like calm people down. Yeah. It's just a simple thing. But there's also, as he said, like as Taylor said, there are so many benefits. Right. And right. like when you really lean into the benefits, and I think also as we get it more, hopefully more into a world that's like not as scary with COVID, right? We enter that time of like, you know, I mean, this happened last summer of like, it was not a European vacation, but it was, I feel like similar to that vibe of people are like, oh, you think I'm going to, I'm going on vacation now. That's for sure. And I'm going to travel around and work for different places. Yep, and yep, like, I think, yep. I think we should expect that exact same thing is going to happen again this summer. And people are going to try to take even more advantage of the times when it isn't as stressful and they can be outside and all that kind of stuff. And they should. And of course and they, they should. should. Yeah. Yeah. They, of course they should. You heard it here. You take heard your it here. vacation. Take your vacation. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> how did the episode go on video? Are you feeling good? Is this, are you feeling like. You know, I'm, I'm learning. It's going to be a learning curve for me. I don't know why I shouldn't, it shouldn't like uh, unhinge me the way that it has, but clearly, I mean, you can tell I'm a little bit. I can tell, yes, because I had to interject in the interview. I'm a little <laughs> bit like, a, I'm a little bit like a hot dog. Yeah, but it's, it's like, also interesting because like you're kind of going through and I think a lot of people go through and they get started with video, which is like, I know I should do this. Yeah. And like in our case, like not to go into too much of the details, but like we've seen when an episode is on video more people right. engage with it much faster. Which and totally it, makes sense. It makes perfect it, like, sense. It totally makes and sense. And we're recording them like this. So yep. <laughs> it's like, it, <laughs> it should be easy. Um, it's, it's, you know, we can spend some time thinking about this on the next episode and maybe talking to some video makers out there. But it is, it's like this little, it's like a switch that goes on in my brain that I yeah. cannot turn off that I'm like, I'm biting my lip. My eyeballs yeah. are like yeah. looking at the corner of my screen. Everybody knows everything about me. I remember when I first had to start doing videos and I was terrified of doing them. Yeah. And like many things that I'm terrified of, I try to run towards it if I can. And so I was like, I'm going to be on all these videos. I'm going to get over this Reading. thing. And over and over and over. And eventually what I realized was like, wait a second, I'm afraid of people seeing me on camera but they're seeing me all the time anyway. And like, and it's like, I think they still like me. I, you know, I think they still like, <laughs> like, it's just this funny thing of like, it's, it's like it's, suddenly I don't know what to do with my hands. Exactly. Like I'm just, I'm like. But I just want to tell you, you're a very animated person. Got a big smile. Just like let her rip, Sylvie. It's all good. Okay. All right. I'm going to chew on that. And uh, listeners, remember to like and subscribe. Now I'm clapping my hands. Don't forget the viewers, actually. Viewers, wow, that's a new word I'm gonna have to, you know, <laughs> it's coming into the rotation. Listeners, <laughs> viewers, like, subscribe, send us an email, ttlpod at wistia.com. Is that it? I think that's it. 
So I hope you all have a great day. Sylvia, I hope you have a great day. And I look, I look forward to the next episode seeing how you've rearranged your books. <laughs> okay. I'll see you soon, Sylvie. Okay, bye. Bye. Talking Too Loud is brought to you by Wistia. Hosted by Chris Savage. Produced by me, Sylvie Lubau, along with Adam Day. Executive produced by Wistia Studios. This episode was mixed by Maria Passingham of Edit Audio. Listen to Talking Too Loud wherever you listen to podcasts. And hey, rate and review us wherever you listen. And check out more content from Wistia Studios at wistia.com.